<laughs> Gosh, John, I forget how good you are at karate. That's incredible. I know, man. I mean, it's all about the right belt. It is. Timing you know? or your leather belt. Exactly. I, I feel like maybe, is that not, that's what you meant. Not really, okay. but speaking of, oh, Dave, wow, I'm yeah, just yeah. going to try to transition to okay. save you. <laughs> Finally, Dave, Yeah. warm spring days are arriving. Oh, Am I gosh. right? Isn't it great? You know what? I need a new pair of shades that I don't have to baby. Do you know what I'm saying, John? I don't want to take care of them. Let me put them on, take them off, and not have to worry Look, about it. Hey, Dave, I know exactly Sorry. Sorry, what I didn't you mean. Sorry, I didn't mean to rant. Knock around is the solution. They've been making high-quality shades that don't break the bank okay. since 2005. Oh, wow. And they've actually been my personal go-tos for years. Oh, yeah. I love Knockaround, John. They have over 20 different frame styles, so there's something for everyone, including tons of kids' pairs. That's right. So whether you're looking to rep your favorite sports teams, mm-hmm. you know, like you're a sports guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> spend some relaxation time in the yard, yep. or cruise down Broadway with the windows down oh. like Dave does uh-huh. all the time. All the time. Every Tuesday and Thursday mm-hmm. and Saturday. Mm-hmm. Knock around. That's what you need. Yeah, yeah. All of their lenses have UV 400 protection, which is basically like sunscreen for your eyes, which, by the way, I've tried that, and it hurts. <laughs> Use the sunglasses, everybody. With polarized adult pairs starting at 28 bucks. you can get a few pairs to leave in your car, toss in your beach bag, or lend to a friend in need. Dave, that is such a good price I that I might buy a pair just to intentionally lose them. I don't love that logic, John, but I know, you do but have a history of misplacement. It's not around Don't fight me because like of the karate stuff. But it could so. be perfect for you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, Dadville fans, don't squint through family beach days yeah. or trips to the park. Check out knockaround.com and use the promo code DADVILLE15 for 15% off your order. That's DADVILLE15 for 15% off your order at knockaround.com. Hey, everybody, this is John McLaughlin. This is Dave Barnes. And welcome to Dadville. Dadville is a podcast where we talk about life, love, and the pursuit of awesome dadding. This week, we had a really good friend of mine named Isaac Kirk on the show. Isaac is one of the funnier... He's he's up there... He's up there with, with my funny friends. You're in there. Well, he's up there because he's very tall. He's also so tall. I felt so protected. <laughs> he is, what, is he 6'5"? I don't six know. Five, he seemed, to he, me, he seemed like 6'11 or 6'14". He's that height. I, I've talked about this before. He's that height that every time I see somebody that tall, they always look taller the next time. Yeah, I see every him. single time. <laughs> it's like, yes. He keeps getting taller. But um, Isaac has become a dear friend of mine. He's so funny. Um, he's a great actor. He does a bunch of improv stuff here in Nashville. One of the reasons I love him too is he's so intentional. Like he's, I love my friends who are dads. Uh, you know, John, you're this way. Where I feel like they're not just kind of getting through life being a dad. Like Isaac is always up to some adventure, hijinks. He's always got something planned with his kids, and so I'm always yeah. so inspired um, hearing him talk about just kind of what they're doing because it's always like, you know, we we went camping. And I'm like, you took your kid. I, don't, I still don't understand why people voluntarily camp. It's <laughs> Bad literally, example, it's it, literally making your life worse on purpose. That's right. how I think about camping. Let's take all the luxuries <laughs> and drive away from them. <laughs> Let's take all the advancements in culture and civilization over the last 200 years and purposely go backwards. Camping is the, it's like the relationship equivalent of saying, "Hey, sweetie, everything that we've built over the la- all the years of our marriage and the, the ways we communicate yes. and what we've learned about each other, let's forget let's all forget that all for of, a weekend." Yes. Yes. In the wilderness. Yes. And let's use three words to communicate everything we want to say. <laughs> uh, but I love that. You know, another part of the story which we talk a lot about is is 
you know, Isaac is an African-American dude. So he grew up in the South, um, you know, which is, I'm always so fascinated with my friends who grew up in just a different experience than I did. Um, Mm -hmm. So it obviously factors a lot in his growing up and and he has so much wisdom around that space is this stuff has sort of come to the forefront over the summer. I think especially for the, for myself being white, my white friends, I don't know if you feel this way, John, even though we've talked about this a good bit, but it's just made me that much more aware of, my color, how it's affected culture. And, and I'm so thankful for my friends like Isaac that I can sit with and really just say, Hey, like talk about this. How, how do I need to think about things? Mm-hmm. He's become kind of one of my most trusted friends for that kind of advice and yeah. help, which is a big reason I know we wanted to have him on too, is just to, just to kind of share wisdom on what his experience is and, and sort of open a little bit more of a, or pull back the curtain a little bit more on, on friends that have gone through that and how we can help love and, and, and encourage and, you know, right. and be just privy to what we're doing wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, like it's, privy it's, to the things that we're oblivious to. Yeah, amen. Amen. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, he was great. He, he also, I, I think, uh, this, this is up there with me. I mean, the Tony Hale episode with the swimming, <laughs> but I'm already, I'm going to start laughing. But when Isaac started talking about mowing the yard. Oh, the the drive by. <laughs> I just I, <laughs> I'm so fascinated with it from a logistical perspective. Oh my gosh. <laughs> there's so many there's so many holes in it. Like, Literally. I don't I don't <laughs> I don't want to give anything away. Oh gracious. But, although I think the title of this episode is Lawnmower Yeah, they may, they may know it. Yeah, I think they know it. They know but it. it's like you're dra- you're on the lawnmower. There are multiple kids on the lawnmower, mm-hmm. so it's already moving slower. Yes, it's struggling. Yes, it's fighting the the decisions that have been made. Yes, already. Yep. And then the BB guns are have been shot, and then you're trying to get away. Yeah, you should all jump off and just run. Yeah. But go. he doesn't, which, I, you know, speaks, and, and I'll say this sort of to, to, to conclude this as we get in the episode, but <laughs> I think one of the things that's great about Isaac too, and we talked about this, I saw him uh, last week and we were kind of talking about this, but he's such a big believer as was his dad in that actions have consequences. You know, we talked yeah, about that. Yeah, that's a big theme in this. dinner the other yeah. night and he talked a lot about that. But, but to, to your point about the lawnmowers we we're talking about, like, I think that's a really challenging thing for us as parents is really trying to instill in our kids, which Isaac is really dedicated to in his parenting is... Hey, you can make a decision, but you need to know there are consequences for that decision. Yeah. You know, and how to sort of live in that that sort of weird space with your child where you're trying to empower them to be a human. Right. And give them a space for that, but also realizing like, yeah, but you can make this. But hey, what happens afterwards? You got to you got to live with. Yeah. Which I think is uh, that was a good lesson for me because I feel like my go to is like, okay, I need to come up with a speech. Yeah. Every moment here needs a speech. <laughs> let me let me stop them from making the mistake and yeah. give them a speech. Yeah. That's right. And he Isaac I feel like was kinda like, no no no. He's got, yeah. that, they don't they're not listening to your speech. No, no, no. Let them do make their decision. Yeah. And then feel the weight of it. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's I was really inspired by that. But it was such a great time uh, with him and I'm thrilled for everybody to get to hear this. But uh, here's our interview with uh, Isaac. Dum, 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 dum. Have we talked about um, Hip Hop Evolution yet? No. That show? No. Man, I watched the episode and a half last night. I didn't, I mean, this is just embarrassing, but I didn't realize that um, Lil Wayne was in the Hot Boys. Oh, yeah. I literally just thought he came out of nowhere. No. They did the deep dive. The show does, I, f- I feel like we talked about this, the show does such a good job of um, of kind of going regional 
and like what each region has contributed to, to hip hop. But they did a big thing on New Orleans last night. And dude, I mean that. Um, I mean I knew that Master P had. Do you know anything about that story with No Limit Records? No at Limit all? Soldiers. No. So basically, he. I only know Master P's. Maybe it's his first record. My freshman year. It would have been high that. school. Yeah, I know that record Mingo really well. Yeah, but like, what's so fascinating about that guy and how much of a genius he was is he literally all they put out. Oh, I want to get this right. Twenty-seven records, thirty-four records the first year that they what? Oh, the the label, no bit. limit. Literally, oh. they, it was it was in the twenties for sure. It may have been low thirties. I can't remember the number. But anyway, he dist- he did it all. So he he would he had this house. He was so smart. He basically went around New Orleans, found all the most talented MCs and producers, brought them into the family, and then they had a house that had like four rooms. And the guys were always producing beats and mm-hmm. tracks, and the rappers would just rotate. And so, like this one girl, um, Mia X or somebody, I can't remember what her name is, but she, um, she's like, I did a record and like I did sixteen songs in two days. You know, That's and, and so and so, what Master P would do is he'd literally be like, "All right, cool. There's your record. Now we put it out. And who's got the next? Cool. You got a record. We're putting. We're just putting them out. We're putting them out." And so, um, and they, I think, like, dude, the streak, the streak for platinum records it, with him was insane. And he uh-huh. owned all of it. And he wow. did a distribution deal with the major and never did a, a record deal. Yeah, yeah. So the guy who knows what the dude's worth, but then Cash Money was the other crew from New Orleans, which was like Juvenile and, you know. Um, Turk. The Hot Boys, Turk, yeah, and, and all those guys. But I just didn't realize, like, that show is just so, and then they get into 50 Cent. And and I didn't know anything about the um, mixtape culture at all, at all. Yeah. And that was fascinating. Anyway, uh-huh. it's a, it is so good. It's so good. It's so, so good. I think good. I only watched the first maybe three episodes. Yeah. That. How many are there? Um, gosh, there's four seasons of four, so maybe okay, sixteen or something. Yeah, okay. But it is. It was fascinating. I oh didn't. My gosh. I didn't know any of that stuff, and I loved how they went to like that neighborhood in Queens, and the I, I wish I could remember the guy's name, uh, but like he's just sitting in the park, and people are walking by, and he knows everybody. Oh, everybody. Oh, that's uh, that's um, that's a uh, Africa Bambata. Yeah, is that. Yeah, that all those right. guys like that though. That's the thing that makes me sorry. Last thought. That's the thing that makes me the saddest about those shows though is you they go and I'm, maybe that's true of a lot of music, but like, you know, they'll go to Little Wayne's spot or whatever, and it's just it's like right. a castle, right? But then they go then to the these OGs. guys. Oh yeah, they're like living in some high rise in Queens with like a couple cool things like on the wall or you know pictures. Yeah, but they're just. They are getting none of them. <laughs> no, <laughs> it is like those guys just uh, feel for them because everybody respects them. Like all right. those guys pay tribute right. to them, but nobody's like right. <laughs> and that's the a lot of the underground battle rappers where mm-hmm. the culture of hip hop kind of is now. They're like, yo, like y'all should pay dues or let us get in on this. And like, oh, you're not commercial enough. Sorry, dude. That's I love what you do. Right. Can't market yet. Well, and this is the last time I'll say that that was what blew my mind about Lil Wayne because basically I just didn't know any of this stuff. But he said, um, they're talking about, you know, Juvenile was kind of the star of the Hot Boys and Lil Wayne was always cool, but everybody was like, yeah, he's just cool. He's kind of funny. And then when he started, so he put out, was the Carter first or, um, 
I think he had something before the Carter. Yeah, I did too. I can't remember. 99 Degrees or something. Something, yeah. yeah. So that came out, and everybody was like, yeah, it's cool. Like, he's cool. He's good. But then, this is so fascinating. The mixtape culture, basically the whole point of those is you'd get – it'd be like – I'm trying to think what it would be like in our world, John. It'd be like – it'd be kind of like your mood record. It'd be like, hey, what's the thing you just really like doing you don't want to have to think about or worry about how commercial it is? And it's like, okay, just do a bunch of those records. And But what they do is these these – kind of battle rap or underground DJs would just make tons of beats and send them to this to these guys who were kind of stars and be like just let's have some fun and so they just get up and either freestyle a whole song or just do all the weird stuff they can't do on the commercial albums but they say that you know with 50 Cent one he kind of changed the game because the mixtapes became more successful than the albums and then when Lil Wayne came up like he put out like 10 mixtapes in a year yeah. or something insane mm-hmm. and everybody was like those it'd be a lot like your mood record it was like i didn't know he could play piano like that so this would be like lil wayne rapping over someone else's beat yeah that they're just sending they were sending they're just them. sending them or or yeah. like what they do too i found as they'll take like popular songs and and because it, they nobody could really follow the money trail they just take they take another hit pull the vocals off and redo it uh-huh. as like here's what i would do with that beat yeah. yeah, but yeah. it was fascinating because like everybody's like he went from like, oh this guy's really funny and he's in this little Houston band that's all cool to like he may be the best rapper, because <laughs> yeah. he put out like they said he put like a hundred songs out in a year, a hundred and something songs in a year, and they were all so incredible because it was like he would get on the mixtapes and just do whatever he wanted to do as opposed to worrying about, uh-huh. which is so funny to think in hip hop, which makes sense because you had huge pop hip hop hits, but like you know producer would be like man that's like to your point like. Rap battle guys, it's not. It doesn't work in the studio. Not, yeah, like yeah. it doesn't sound like Mace. Yeah, you know, or Puff Daddy or something that sounds like a hit. You know, yeah, it sounds like some dudes rapping. Yeah, you know, man, I wish that people did that in in other genres. Like, how cool would that be if someone took, uh, like, Craven you, and you know, Redid Maroon it. Five just did uh, a whole other song on on top of it. I do. It, I had a moment. I had a, like a little moment of clarity where I was sitting there like. What is the version of this in my world? Like, what's the thing you just don't worry? And because the thing, the biggest thing was it was just for. I mean, it was I, I, just trying, for them. It was just for the streets, which I'm trying to sound cool, but that's literally, <laughs> what, what, it, literally, like it was for street yeah. sale yeah. and consumption, passing around to your I friends. I love that. Yeah. And it's so, so pure. And so they didn't mean that they didn't look to make money, even though they would, because obviously they sold them. But it was more about just getting your name out and. 50 Cent and Lil Wayne both talk about, like, you just wanted to flood the market. Literally, yeah. you wanted, that's when Lil Wayne put out the 100 plus songs. He's like, I just needed to be everywhere all the time, everywhere. And, like, some of those end up charting. Like, a couple of the 50 Cent ones charted because they just had so much consumption. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it is interesting to think about, you know, our world. I'm like, I just wonder what, if you're just like, I'm. That would be fun to even do with, like, get a couple of our friends together and, like, just try it out. Yeah, just I go. Be a blast. You should do that. It could be horrible. <laughs> it, and you know what? If it's great, it's great. If it's terrible, it's still kind of great. It's still kind of great. <laughs> if it's in the middle, then then we move on and never talk about yeah, it again. Yeah, we, we act you like know. it never happened. Um, okay, Isaac. I think that's it. I think that's Thanks, it. man. Yeah. We're, it's been a blast. <laughs> glad I could contribute. <laughs> I'm, bl- I'm, I'm blessed to be a blessing. Okay, Isaac, I am glad you're here. Glad to be here, man. I'm, I'm glad that you're here. I'm really glad that... Um, we get to hang out, first of all, because I feel like anytime we hang out, I heavily enjoy our hangouts. 
But um, also, I'm glad um, you're here because um, I like you a lot. Thanks, man. I also want to say I feel protected in your presence. As you should. I feel like <laughs> you're you're probably I don't know eight six inches five. taller than me. You're yeah. six five. Six five. Yeah. Yeah. I'm only, I'm six three, so you're a little bit taller than me. Yeah. I got yeah. you. <laughs> if I'm standing on this table, I'm six three. <laughs> you're standing on his shoulders. <laughs> I will I'm still somehow you. shorter than him. <laughs> <laughs> if you backpack him, yeah. is that a thing? If we call people backpacking, if somebody just backpacks you, yeah, like yeah. Yoda's you. <laughs> there it is. That's Mandalorian, it is. I like it. Yeah, there it is. So Isaac, you. One of the things that I think is really interesting about you is I feel kind of like you're a unicorn because you're from Nashville. Oh yes. Like, and I mean, this these are your roots. This is where you're from. So where where did you grow up in Nashville? What part? So, born in Brentwood. Um, oh, so that. yeah, I was born into the pretty comfortable life. And then my dad got serious about Jesus. And so we went from riches to rags. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which Isn't that funny? That yeah. if, if we're really doing it right, why does it sort of, yeah, that's kind of the way it should go. I yeah. think sadly. Uh, you can talk to my mom about <laughs> <laughs> all of that. Um, uh, so I was born in Brentwood. Uh, then we moved to Donaldson and some of our, from I guess the age of eight to 13. And then, they went to Bordeaux and bought their forever home when I was 13. So they've been in the North Nashville corridor for probably 21 years now. 21 years. Gosh, that's crazy. Yeah. And now North Nashville's blown yeah, up. Yeah, right, right, right. For good and bad. But they have been there. And it is, it's where I kind of cut my teeth in life. Literally. And, knowing yeah. you, you probably literally cut your teeth. Oh, man. Stories on <laughs> stories on stories. <laughs> And then, and then, in, you have how many siblings? I'm the second oldest of eight, so Jeez, I have three sisters right. and four brothers. Yeah, so y'all kind of wow. started a cult, sort of uh, out there. Absolutely. If you're looking at the numbers, it looks like the move to Bordeaux, mm-hmm. and then sort of like the proliferation of children. Like, now we conquer. <laughs> Go for it. Now you come back into the city, and yeah. more or less. Yeah, uh, and that was uh, that Bordeaux move was kind of eye opening for me and all of my siblings yeah Brentwood to Bordeaux is no joke because y'all I mean y'all spot is in the woods yeah oh yeah um and you moved there when you were 13 yeah when I was 13 yeah um so that's seventh grade yeah so and I was homeschooled so okay uh when you leave comfortable white America and then you move to uh all intents and purposes (laughs) uncomfortable (laughs) you don't know how good your life has been (laughs) Then you show up and you're like, oh, cool, other black people. And they're just like, no, we don't do that, bro. (laughs) For real, that was your experience. Oh, yeah. Oh, a black homeschool family (laughs) in Bordeaux. (laughs) Yeah, there was was a monumental learning curve. A monumental learning curve. Because I was going to say, a move in seventh grade. Seventh grade is hard enough. Yeah. Yeah. Let alone a move in seventh grade. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe the homeschoolness would protect you from a lot of the stereotypical hardship that would come from a move during that time, but maybe not. You would think yes. <laughs> right. However, once you have that many kids and then nobody sees you anywhere and then they just see you outside, certain questions start to pop up like, oh, we never see you all at school. We don't see you at the gym. Oh, wow. We don't see you at the community center. Like, what's your story? And then right. if before they ask that question, they've already endowed that narrative with a thousand different theories. Right, right, right. right. And so then it's just trying to swim upstream to kind of find your footing in a very, very beautiful, uh, 
hilarious hard neighborhood. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so did y'all cuz cuz I know I think I've have I met all of your I've met all of your siblings. I think you've met all of I feel my like siblings. I have to. Okay. Did y'all sort of roll together? Were y'all like your own crew or Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um so y'all were close. Yeah, so starting in Donaldson like we realized that oh, we're very different from most families. Like people looked at us and were like we're the Huxtables. Like that's right. what right. they thought when they looked at our family. Mom, dad, beautiful family great oh yeah but when white kids see you homeschooled the narrative is oh you must have got kicked out of school you must be a bad kid Mm. um not alternative school just oh you're you're a bad kid and their parents once again they haven't actually communicated or built a friendship so that narrative is like oh yeah there's a family just moved down there they're great athletes but they're homeschooled so like (laughs) they probably got kicked out of school what a great what just a great sentence dude great athletes (laughs) 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 and that is an asterisk that has followed me my whole life (laughs) so that is hysterical so in donald's like we really like we would really just kind of be our group um and we would play we were our own best friends worst enemies and core competitors yeah right and john i'm the runt of my brothers i'm six five and i'm the runt so imagine your younger brothers just kind of towering over you you have to instill the fear of god (laughs) at at every possible opportunity And so other kids really wouldn't, like when we would play sports and we could be on the same team oh, against kids in the neighborhood, oh. the game would last 15, 20 minutes tops <laughs> because we didn't know how to play nice. Right? Oh, dang. Right. Because with each other, y'all yeah, were having to like. Yeah. No, it's, there's no submission. It's cry, blood, <laughs> stop. Snack. <laughs> Snack. <laughs> Repeat. Repeat. <laughs> so we just thought all kids played that way. Uh, so I wondered why you punched Dave and I both in the face when you right, when you walked it's in. Just it's just a greeting. It's, 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 it's a, a greeting. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a gre- That's actually a nice greeting. Yeah, in your face. Yeah. Uh, so was it was it a different experience in Brentwood? Um, not really, because my parents built a nice home and so we really didn't have a lot of neighbors so when i okay. when you moved to donaldson that's when we had like neighbors neighbors yeah you and were so more around integrated, integrated into yeah. a community and i learned so much from living in i guess the suburbs just about how life kind of flows and works kind of observing like window peeking of oh okay so they get up they go to school then they come back at 3 30 and then they get to play whereas i can wake up do my schoolwork and just kind of go get it so i've always kind of had a unique balance in life through observing because i've never lived a traditional life that's so funny and two i mean you know you i can't imagine too just the day-to-day when you have that many siblings the day-to-day um, shuffling of where you are and how you fit and oh. how you relate to your parents because there's so many of y'all and how you you know. Hey, my mom runs a super tight ship. Oh wow! So I mean, which she would, yeah, I was gonna say it's either got to be chaos and bedlam or like the army. Army. Yeah. Army. Yeah. All the way. Like we were the Navy SEALs or the Green Berets, whatever the ch- hardest branch of the army <laughs> yeah. is. That's what Margie Nail ran. Like <laughs> beds made. You were responsible for what's your day we had little schedules we had dish weeks we had certain things that we had to do over the course of a day and you're responsible for that and my dad's not a terribly empathetic man so if 
he came home and then your things weren't done, there wasn't a conversation or an opportunity to plead your cause. It was discipline. So, yeah, so there's what's... no time for the conversation. Yeah, there's no time. You can't have eight conversations no. when it gets home. Okay, no. I really want you to speak this because this is something that Annie and I are talking about right now with our kids. It's kind of like, what would the discipline look like, and and how, how do you do that? How do you do that as a parent where you kind of establish like? Hmm. Mm. So. <laughs> We got good old fashioned whoopings. Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's what was handed yeah, what, out. What what would it be? What was the instrument of choice? Hand? Oh no 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 belt. no no. We were as I'm six five, so <laughs> we <laughs> he had to tie you down. Yeah, the hand went the way of <laughs> the of buffalo. the dodo bird <laughs> when when we turned six seven eight. Um, no, because y'all were already just so. Big. Oh yeah, like I mean, we're just that is so funny. I mean. True to lore, like my dad's from Texas, my mom's from Texas. My dad is six four, my mom was five eleven. So we were just big yeah, kids. Yeah, yeah. Um so if my mom was whooping us, like it was like a belt. It was just a good old fashioned belt. Um as we got older it became whatever was in <laughs> throwing <laughs> distance. Reach. Yeah. <laughs> and my mom is a deadly aim like just sniper <laughs> sniper um but my and dad becoming a bigger and bigger target oh and i so. see and you would try to turn sideways but she <laughs> anticipates that and it's like bending like just scop, pow. <laughs> um and, but my dad he realized that and we made this mistake i guess when we were i think it was 11 me and my brother went outside my dad had been painting the garage it was a big project and we had put he had put a ceiling fan in the garage and it was four or five hours. And he was like, Hey, the garage is empty. I don't really want y'all playing in here. So of course we started playing in the garage. Immediately. Immediately. And then the fan was oh, let's cut the fan on. So we cut the fan on and we started playing like handball. My dad loves racquetball. So we got it and we were just kind of playing wall ball, just throwing it. We threw it too hard and then it breaks the light of this brand new installed ceiling fan. And so we take off running out of the garage screaming the devil made us do it at that point my dad came out and he kind of looked at us and he's like mm, okay he had a friend who ran a wood shop and so he made <laughs> he he called and got a paddle made so Cust like custom a, made like a custom made fraternity paddle and then from then on from that that was it we got whooped with a paddle oh so I kind of put into we we're like oh the the tides have turned we're no, we're no longer we're outmatched we're outmatched now we're no longer going to get the switch or the belt he has went and got a wooden fraternity paddle yeah. made and then he drilled holes in it to make it aerodynamic oh, oh man his words oh yeah so that's what we got disciplined with growing up so you you knew like you knew we don't do it this is just yeah. what's happening yeah um, do you have no, any any sense when you were a kid at that time that you were like, okay, now it's different. I got to, I got to straighten up. Like, um, did the paddle work? The paddle worked. Absolutely. But I guess it kind of, what I realized about my dad is he typically disciplines you for lying or defying um, the expectations, meaning just go, doing whatever you wanted to direct disobedience as he would call uh -huh. it. If we did something truly horrible, there was often a conversation that would happen. There would be no, there wouldn't be any like physical discipline. It would be him trying to get to the root and understand mm. our viewpoint. But like little menial stuff like that required in his like, you know better. The expectation has been set. Eight yeah. kids, I'm not going to keep having eight conversations. Right. This is what's expected. 
either abide or discipline. Yeah. And then things outside of that parameter were dealt with in terms of, uh, I say he's not a truly empathetic man, but he will listen to uh, an outlier. So for instance, uh, <laughs> once me and my brother were practicing our drive-by because we moved to Bordeaux in, you know, Proper preparation prevents poor performance. Oh. So, John's giving me this look like, what? <laughs> this is, I'm, listening. <laughs> I'm listening. So, when you turn 13 in our family, you get a BB gun. So, we we got our airsoft that, rifles. You just go quick through that. Yeah. You get a BB, like everybody. I digress. He's from Texas. I've already established that. <laughs> you know the gun culture of Texas. Yeah. Uh, you get an airsoft rifle. And so, we're like, yo, we're in Bordeaux now. We need to practice our drive-by. So, such a logical in my brain. Yes, we got the riding lawnmower. My mom had just got French doors installed all around the back of the house. Oh no! So we're on the riding lawnmower trying to shoot cans, and we shoot out one of the French doors. And then once again, we stop, run away. The devil made us do it. <laughs> There's a pattern. And he comes home. He's like, "I just how, why, what?" And I explained him. I explained to him our logic. Like, you know, we may be in a situation where we have to do a drive-by. <laughs> and oh, I no. didn't want that to oh, be no. my first oh, one. Oh, no. <laughs> we need to keep riding on or running. Now listen, here's what I like about the logic here is a couple things. Now, it's not, okay, if he drives home and you guys have set up protective measures where you're like, we got some things and we're shooting if somebody comes in the yard. No, no. No. A drive-by is an aggressive. <laughs> yes. It is. It is offense. It's not defense. So, yeah, yeah. I, so it would assume a couple things. Like you guys get into a beef with another family, and you got to go. You got to go do something about yeah. it. Yeah. So it's not a drive-by is not a retaliate. It's no. like you're it's not preemptive. Re- it's preemptive. Yeah. 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 That's, that's what I want to. That's what I dig in on. Yeah. It's like it's, <laughs> and being the, proactive and. You award proactive people in life. So, <laughs> so that whole story, like there was no, we didn't get whooped after that. It was just, you all have to pay to replace that window. Like that, that was fascinating. the, because he listened and I'm sure him and my mom, they, they laugh about that to this day. Yeah. Because we were just truthful. We were like, hey. This is what we're doing. This was our, this was our line of thinking. This is what we were doing. And, and you know, I want to give a shout out to your dad right now for this, because I do think that's a very valuable, that's, that's a really fascinating thing to think about, because your kids are going to get to an age, if they hadn't already, where they're going to start thinking for themselves like that, where they're doing this thing where it's like, okay, yes, I did that, but let me tell you why I made that decision. And I do think there's this season that I've talked to about my friends who have older kids and I've seen in my parents where it's like, okay, I can't just spank you for every bad decision. I need to sort of start entertaining your logic. And because it, you you may actually have sort of a good reason here. And I don't want to squash that. Right. I you don't want to be the, the whole thing. Yes. Out. I don't want to be like, hey, yeah. you don't think for yourself. Yeah. Let's yeah. go. I'm going to spank you. No. And that was absolutely where he, where we learned Right around that 12, 13-year-old age when he started to entertain that, like, hey, you all are thinking, making choices for yourself outside of the realm of your mother and I. Let me see what your cognitive processes are. And 
so growing up from oh my dad's not listening to when we did something massively dumb for him to listen with like truly listen and then Sorry, execute I, appropriate drive just your little like what i'm picturing is, is a riding lawnmower i mean how fast can that thing go so i'm just That's picturing you guys thing. a couple of you mm-hmm. You know, you're six one at the time, yeah. towering on this riding lawnmower yep. with your BB guns. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And you it, shoot, but you're still at the house for another ten minutes. Yeah. <laughs> the riding lawnmower is going so slow. It's like a parade. It's like a drive-by parade. And the hilarious part of that is we broke the riding lawnmower while doing that. So, oh, you're dead. So yeah. Um, oh, wait, but did you? I got. I have to sue. <laughs> this is the other part that kills me is that you probably put the bottles in front of the window. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Because um, it just made the most sense <laughs> in our brain. Of course. Uh, it made the most sense. Uh, there's just, there's got to be scenes. I haven't had one of these quite yet as a fair. <laughs> but there's got to be scenes that you walk up on and it's just so, so far gone. You broke the mower, you shot the window, but you put the bottle in front of that at some point as a parent, you got to think. I'm, I actually want to hear. Yeah. I'm actually. I want to hear how this unfolded. <laughs> Please tell me. <laughs> I'm as curious as I am angry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know I mean? And we have provided my mom and dad with thousands of those opportunities. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Dave. Hey, John. You know, I was thinking this school year is going to be unlike any other school year. Oh, I know. Right? Somehow. Without money involved, my wife assigned me the roles of both science and PE teacher. Oh, man, that's a mistake. But it's lucky that we were both turned on to KiwiCo's crates for our kids, right? <laughs> no, they've been such a godsend. Both of my kids receive projects that fit their specific age group, and it is awesome. It is so awesome. I mean, my daughter was working on this arcade crane project. What? It was amazing. Like, the materials are super high quality, and she's learning engineering while she's building this thing. It's awesome. Absolutely. Also, that terrifies me. As a dad, it's hard to find things that are truly going to entertain your kids while also being something productive instead of them picking their nose and trying to see who can hit the window from the farthest away. Which also involves engineering. It does. That's what you I tell my wife. away from them. But... Luckily, KiwiCo is running a deal with Dadville right now. So if you go to KiwiCo.com slash Dadville, you can get one month free on select crates. KiwiCo is making my new job, quote unquote, as a science teacher, quote unquote, easier (laughs) while my kids are learning confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. So head to KiwiCo.com slash D-A-D-V-I-L-L-E to join in the fun. One thing I think is so cool about y'all's story and fascinating is, you know, you grow up in Nashville with parents who are well known in the community. I mean, they're 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 benevolent. They you know they work with kids. You know, your dad and 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 so what what is that like having parents? You know, growing up in the same city for your whole life, um, having parents that are so you know stuck into that community, so well respected and known. What is that like as a kid growing up? When I was younger, it was extremely difficult because I've never felt like my dad was my own. Like yeah. he belonged to the city, um, wherever we would go. I don't think we've said. Can you say exactly what your dad started to do? Um, my dad started uh, a company called Hemsley, which is now pretty much just tackle 
and then he sold that, and then he went into ministry full time um, with a mission called the Family Foundation Fund. Wait, and, wait, 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 wait. I didn't know that first part. Yeah. So my dad came to Nashville because he was working with Southwestern Advantage, and he was one of the first black sales executives for Southwestern yeah, Executives. Yeah, that's Southwestern right. Advantage. So that's how they got to Nashville. Um, my mom was a model, New York. Like They were leading a pretty great life. And then came to Nashville. Everything was still humming along. And then he got serious about his faith. And what I mean, I, he had a moment uh, that's a different podcast but he had a moment like yo i need to i have to walk away from this i mean they owned a grocery store they had a couple rental properties i mean they were they were killing the game yeah and he just i walk away from this and that was really hard for my mom because she's like i didn't sign up for that like that's not what you sold me when this was still uh do they they have any of y'all yet uh no they didn't okay wow however as soon as he decides to do that walk away my dad takes in my cousin David and my cousin Oni because his older brother was going through a really hard time so my mom went from a pretty great independent life to becoming a mother how old were they David was eight Oni was 12 so like not just kids not just kids kids but she's in the thick of it like yeah never had to care for anyone so that was like their first foray into really living outside of themselves and laying their lives down for someone else. And that's just kind of continued on for 28 years. The family foundation fund's been operating, serving young men who don't have fathers in the Nashville and surrounding communities. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, like you, you said that really well, that would be, I can't imagine the struggle of feeling like your dad is everybody's dad. Yeah. 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 And not to mention you already got other Siblings. Siblings. That, yeah. yeah. But what we learned in that, that there was always a certain amount of expectancy from us uh, because, yeah, you're Oni's kids. Like you, this guy's out here taking care. Of, there used to be a thousand project buildings in Nashville. They've torn a lot of them down. But we would be in these areas of Nashville and treated with such reverence because my dad was bringing these people groceries. My dad was facilitating pickup and drop off and childcare and just really being an either an intermediary for people who didn't have access or resources. And he would just, that's what he's given his life to. Like he would, he just does it instinctively. It was never a, it was never a thing of, Oh, look at me. It was just like, yeah, uh, pure motive. Yeah, pure. Like, just uh, there's a quote by W. The talented tenth, like the ten, the ten percent that can should look out for the ninety percent that can. Mm, yeah. And he kind of just that's in his soul, and that has been his battle cry for since I've been born. Did that? Did 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 you feel like that y'all as kids had to take on responsibility with that? Especially you, as the oldest boy. Oh, absolutely. Um, I've, but it also gave me a lot of freedom because I knew that my actions could speak for themselves. Like I never was concerned with, I never had the opportunity to be concerned with other people's opinions just because like I was responsible for getting me and my brothers and my sister to basketball practice or to Mm. soccer practice. And if I did that, great. How I did it didn't matter. I accomplished the task. And so that level of responsibility that was, that I was trusted with at a young age kind of informed how I live my life now. For sure. Mm-hmm. So I can't did imagine. you resent that at all? Um, in my college age, yeah. 
because I was like, oh man, I didn't realize how much of my childhood I didn't get. Oh, like looking back. Looking back. But at the time, not necessarily. No, yeah. I just, I had a lot of freedom because yeah. like I said, my dad was, he had started a company and then he was starting a nonprofit. So his time was no longer his own and he uh -huh. would have to work those long hours. My mom was concerned with the younger kids. So I was gifted a lot of autonomy right. uh, and I cherished that. Yeah. I, to this day, I cherish my autonomy. But it had to, but I'm assuming though, but you had to prove, look, to your point, you had to prove that you were making good decisions. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, the minute and, you misstepped, I'm sure some of that was revoked. <laughs> no, well, see, and that's the, no. Really? No. It was actions speak louder than words. And to the point to the window, like my dad would want to know, like, what, what was your intention here? Like, what, what did you think the end results would be? Like, yeah, you may have done one night TSU had just built this outside basketball pavilion and a lot of the real good hoopers from the city were going to go out there and play. And it was a midnight game. We had no we had literally just finished a basketball game. We got the message. Yo, it's going to be a midnight run at TSU uh, It's going down. So we didn't ask because we knew the answer was going to be no. I've just no. never been on the other end of one of those. Have you <laughs> one of those texts? <laughs> those don't come to me. Quote, unquote, no. there's a midnight run. We're about to be hooping. I've just, I want just once in my life to get that text. I will get will you, you that text. Will you send that to me? I will that text right <laughs> <to> me. <laughs> when, when I have got that text, it's then followed by, would you mind going and getting some waters yes. for the players? If you could bring some Gatorades. Bring some towels. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll pick you up. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll win. <laughs> yes, you will. And I won't even need to play. Can I just, hold on, I have to interject this story here. So we played pickup at the church about, it's probably six months ago now, wasn't it? Yeah. And so Chad Scruggs, our, our pastor, put this group of guys that go to church to, to, to play there. It was a pickup game, real fun. So I'm like, you know what we should do is Isaac, who goes to church with us, I was like, I should tell Isaac and just see if he wants to come. Chad got wind of that. Mm -hmm. Who loves you? But he was like, "Why did you do that?" And it I was changes like, well, because, <laughs> because he goes to church and he's a really good basketball player, and I thought it'd be fun." And he had a real moment. Like Chad had a real moment where he was like, "Okay, um, you know this this was just a bunch of white guys that were going to play really bad basketball." And Isaac this was came be in. Loosely. I got so much joy that day watching <laughs> Isaac play because it's like watching it was like someone in third gear who's just like i'm yeah. just gonna chill out here and there'd be a couple of fourth gear moments where it was like oh my god look at that so <laughs> <laughs> but like you don't understand when he walked in if i was like isaac and they just looked at me and i was like what <laughs> <laughs> he plays basketball <laughs> but to add to that chad told everyone i was a college soccer player so he was like no he no he played Soccer yeah, you don't need college. to worry about it. We yeah, don't need yeah, to worry about yeah. And I just looked at him and I was like, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but but so y'all so went to TSU. Yeah, we went to TSU. We played, like, um, one of my brothers played basketball for Lipscomb before he transferred to Southeastern Missouri. I mean, it was just like all of the ballers and, like, just yeah. the hoopers. And it was great. It was phenomenal. Uh -huh. We got home. My dad is sitting in the living room like. Oh, it's like, what, two? Yeah, probably like he was like where did you all go we like uh there was a basketball run and we decided to instead of coming home we went to go do that and once again it's one of those moments he was like you didn't ask you didn't tell me and your mom where you went like i've been worried about you like he's like That's so he he wakes up 
or oh, at some he, point he realizes he never went to sleep. Oh, all my kids are gone. Yeah, never went to sleep. Just never went to Did sleep. Did y'all all go? No, it was just me, Israel, and Isaiah. Okay, okay. So, okay. and my cousin Nick. Yeah. So, yeah. us four went, and it wasn't. Uh, he went to sleep. He just. He, no, well, you don't sleep that night. No, when, like, when no. some of your kids are gone. Just disappear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't know what. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we get home, and he just. I mean, he's furious. Um, when my dad gets mad, his top lip quivers. Doesn't it's raise, a tell. Doesn't raise his voice. Just that lip starts doing the Harlem shake, and you're like, oh. Oh, this is serious. <laughs> this is serious. Okay. Harlem shake. Cool, 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 cool. Furious. And he was like, guys, like, you all are men now. Like, you're wow. you're responsible for your time. You're responsible for your actions. Like, if let's just say, like, it wasn't a basketball thing, and he put some hypotheticals out there. He was like, yeah, I, I love the fact that you all broke curfew to go play basketball. He was like, obviously, I'm doing something right as a parent. But, wow. Yeah. wow. But he was like, still, it's the fact wow. that you broke curfew. And we didn't – we weren't grounded. We weren't – we just had that long – what would have been a 2 a.m. night turns into a 4 a.m. because we're still talking. And then we had yeah. to get up because from the age of 10, my dad has woken us up at 5 a.m. until you graduate high school to go to the downtown YMCA, work out, and put up shots. So we woke Wait, up. what? Yeah. Like, my dad's terrible at basketball, but he his work ethic is unparalleled. So when we were homeschooled, since we didn't have gym class, he would wake oh, us up at 5 a.m. Wow. We would go to the downtown YMCA. We would run a mile, play racquetball for a little bit, and then we would just play basketball until probably 10 a.m. So that was like our gym. That was our gym. I mean, I think yeah. the Green Berets get up at 5.30. So, like, like I said, no joke. whatever is better than the Army, that's, <laughs> that's, what, that's what we were. You were not kidding. No. And so it was Did just, he d- Was he in the Army? No. God, he didn't do no, anything. Okay. Just an entrepreneur. Just just, just, just self-motivated, self-driven. Um, and so that was one of those. We were like, we are dying. Oh, you're oh, because you're getting up yeah, yeah an hour later. Like we are dead, and that was the consequences of our action, which is know. real life. Which is real yeah. life. Yeah. And he was. My dad is very good about bringing real life to you in a palatable way. So yeah, we were exhausted. We were dead because we had just played a basketball game. We had just went and played another basketball game. We had just sacrificed our sleep for a learning moment, and now we're back to the next day. <laughs> I don't even want to think about how much food your family took in. Oh. I don't want to think about that. God, it's you're playing that much. Like you have got to come in and you just got to like you guys got to be wood chippers. Oh. You know I mean, they're just chunking food. <laughs> yeah, <and you're> just- <laughs> mom just moving. Just go on, go on. <laughs> um, yeah. So my mom, she has these giant pots till this day, and we're still the gathering. Like, there's now all of our a lot of our friends have moved to the city from various parts of our lives, and our house is just the hangout spot. It is yeah. where people yeah. go Gather. to just to just get laughs get fed and just kind of experience oh this is what a huge family that's Mm. that's kind of just live their own lives looks like so Mm -hmm. so which is interesting so then you go to college then i go to you leave you you leave this nest which has so many you know um rhythms and lifestyle all your siblings it's a huge shared existence yep right so then you go to college you go to covenant yep college right we're gonna play basketball we're gonna play basketball um, what was that like? Ooh, it was because uh, that's like spreads. I mean, you'd spread your wings. I mean, yeah, you, your dad had given you, but that's that's like you're really. Oh yeah, well I'm soaring now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm soaring. 
Um, so we graduated high school. I went to Lighthouse Christian School um, in Antioch. So ninth grade through, I'm there. I get to college, and I'm used to being in hyper white environments. Like that was just I was born <laughs> I like into hyper it. Hyper white. I was born into them. Uh, but when I get to college, there's not a lot of uh, common ground. Hmm. Once again, like I'm homeschooled. Then I went to high school for four years, and even that was a very small, controlled population. So when I get to college, it's like complete freedom, which I've had a, a small amount mm-hmm. of my whole life. Mm-hmm. I'm one of the only freshmen with the vehicle, so mm. I'm just on top of the mountain. Literally. Literally <laughs> on top of the mountain. Uh, I had so much trouble like acclimating to the rigors of college. And you'd think I'd be super prepared for that. Gotcha. But I devoted all of my time to just reading and just miscellaneous adventures. Like <laughs> that's miscellaneous like, adventures. Like, I would we'd have three a days. I'd wake up, mm-hmm. go to the gym, do what I needed to do. I would go to the library and instead of reading whatever I was supposed to be studying I would just be reading some random philosophy book or just looking at the oceans of the world. Like I would never do the actual work that I was supposed to do. So I was put on, I came in as a red shirt, then I was on academic probation. Um, But I had so many different friend groups because Mm -hmm. the miscellaneous adventures, like I would go off like, oh, those weird kids over there are LARPing. I have no idea what that is, but they're dressed up funky and they seem to be having a ball. <laughs> I go do that. What are you guys doing? And I would just, I would follow that rabbit. Um, like, well, you're an athlete, so blah, 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 blah. But those stereotypes didn't really hold a lot of water for me because I've always kind of just lived outside the margins of normality. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I had a huge group of friends at Covenant and I had ran in a lot of weird different little pockets but i could always go back to the comfortability of the athlete mm-hmm. um status but then i met my wife um well at that time she was not my wife but <laughs> um, it was arranged and it would uh be some time before she became my wife uh due to these miscellaneous due adventures. to these miscellaneous <laughs> adventures. <laughs> um and that kind of, i was like oh okay like she was she is serious a brilliant directed focus and she was like you are a squiggly straw i'm <laughs> not about that great <laughs> so, squiggly straw. Yeah. Yeah. um and so much so that eventually i was expelled from covenant uh right. yeah because i was so good at being a squiggly straw in so, in a straight straw uh, environment in a straight straw environment <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. so i got kicked out of school and then i just started working um you stayed in chattanooga i stayed in chattanooga um and that even when i was getting kicked out like i was sitting in the dean's office and the dean was like well we got to call your dad and i was like cool let's let's do that so i pulled out my cell phone and like dialing and my dad picks up like hey how you doing son i'm like i'm doing pretty good how about yourself brief chat like the dean is listening to this whole I was like, hey, real quick, um, (laughs) real quick, I'm getting expelled from university. He was like, oh, what you do? I said, I threw a really, really, really good party. And he's like, oh, okay. And I said, and the dean's listening on speaker, by the way, uh, he needs to talk to you. And like the dean's face is just like, 
that's how you break this news. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's that's how you okay. And he's like, yeah, we're having to let your son go. He violated the student contract of the university. Um, my dad's like, well, um, my son knows that actions have consequences. What do you need from me? And he's like, oh, we just needed to tell you tell you that <laughs> your son wasn't enrolled here anymore. And he's like, okay, yeah, great. So what year were you expelled? Uh, I was expelled 2007. So and that was your that would have been my, year, my junior year. Junior year. Yeah. Okay. So that and I was like, okay. He's like, I see you when you get home. I was like, all right. Click. And then Dean is just sitting over there with the face you have on right now. Dave. Like what? <laughs> like that's it. Like no yelling, no cursing, no. How could you? I was like, nah. Like me and my dad have been doing this for some years now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like this is old hat to us. Like- um, have like, you ever heard of a lawnmower drive-by? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I started working. Like, I came home that summer. Uh, I went and sold books with Southwestern Advantage. and Which I bet you crushed that job. I, I had a blast. So so just to pause, did, your, did y'all ever have, like, a secondary conversation you and your dad about that? Nope. Dang. No. So was, how did you feel about it, though? Were you, were you bummed about... Not being enrolled, not finishing college, or did you care? Um, honestly, I didn't care uh, because I went from it. So my collegiate basketball story, I actually never set foot in a game because red shirt, yep. uh-huh. academic probation, broke my femur. So broke your femur. Broke my femur, which is such a con. Everybody knows that trajectory. Yeah, that's that's yeah. the trajectory yeah. of greatness. Next is probably going to break his <laughs> femur. <laughs> of greatness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so once I broke my femur, like it was a, it was a wrap. There was no there was no basketball after that. Yeah. So I was just at college and I didn't have that safe haven of basketball anymore. So I had all these eclectic friend groups and theater kids and the art kids and the, my roommate was a biology major, a brilliant brain. And so I had all of these people in my life that I was just like, oh, I get to really like kind of press in and see what life as a normal student looks like. Yeah. Minus- Did you feel like it was like, okay, I don't have to be the athlete anymore. I uh, can do whatever I want. I didn't realize how much my identity was caught up in uh-huh. being a basketball player. Mm. But when it was removed, I was like, huh. It wasn't even like, oh, uh, what am I going to do? Right. It was just like, I get to go hang out with people now. Like, I forgot. I completely, like I said, the school part was never my strong suit. And it never was. But the people, I really got to go and kind of just and be a part of the student body and yeah. go to dances, go to things you kind of just miss when you're an athlete. Right. And it was phenomenal, so much so. Is that when you got into acting? Uh, yes. That's when I also got kicked out of college. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's when I got into acting. I was just like, yo, like, there's so much more to this college experience than being in the gym and being in the library. And yeah. I kind of just got to explore a little bit more. And I told Rebecca, my wife, um, I was like, I'm I'm going to be an actor. And she was like, you just get your degree. You just make sure you finish and get your degree. And then a couple of days later, she came back and said, all right, I believe you. Uh-huh. And that kind of started the path towards acting. When did you get married? We got married in 2010. 
Okay. So were y'all still in Chattanooga? Yeah, we're still in Chattanooga. We're and then still, and then y'all moved to California. Then we moved out. We we, we moved to California 2015. Oh, so okay. Okay. We were in Chattanooga for she finished school in 2009. So we were in we were in Chattanooga 4 years after 5 years after she finished. Okay. Um so I worked I got a job um I worked at Covenant Transport in the call center like doing logistics for a trucking company then i started waiting tables at mellow mushroom i became a bartender and i kind of just started really grinding i would work as many jobs as i could and that's and that's what i learned from my father like my dad would just no matter what he was like if you work hard enough at something it'll it'll work out yeah and so i would just save my money and i was like yo i would look into oh acting classes here, acting, doing, and so I just started kind of doing like local regional commercials, um, and eventually uh, a gentleman named Stevie Ray Dallimore moved from New York, and he was doing uh, community service for an after-school theater program at the downtown library, and I said, hey, I want to be an actor, what does that take? And he said, it's a hard life, and I kind of shared my story with him, he was like, oh, well, I think you may be cut out for this. <laughs> um, and so he really became my mentor and kind of took me under his wing. And I started volunteering with the Music Fire Project, teaching kids how to write plays and kind of just learning what the theater entails. And that opened a lot of doors for me in terms of getting into the world of acting at a sustainable Yeah. Way. So. That's really cool. It's like your entrance into acting was sort of modeled after kind of what you saw your dad do yeah. your whole life. Yeah. And then the the button on Chattanooga was right when we were about to leave, I think I had 17 credit hours that I had to finish. So my wife was actually coaching at Covenant. She was coaching there. She was the assistant coach on the women's cross country team. And like, I was like, yo, I got to get this degree. Like I'm this close. And they were like, yes. And it was one of the kids that I had befriended from one of those like little weird LARPing. He was him and a guy named Rodney Miller were running admissions. And they were like, yes, you can come back. You will finish and you'll get this degree. Don't we're not going to anybody else. I'm going to go to the dean. And they enrolled me right there and I actually got my degree from Covenant College. What did you get it in? Sociology. Oh, nice. Oh, cool. So, more people yeah. stuff. More pe yeah. <laughs> Quote, unquote. Sociology. More people stuff. <laughs> so, and so, then, so, when do y'all start having kids? Ooh. We have Cinco, who's my firstborn son, in 2012. It's a great name. So, thank you. That's Cinco. And it fits him somehow <laughs> magically. <laughs> um, like, we were like, okay, let's, let's kind of, let's do us, because our dating life was rocky. Um, she dumped me a couple times before <laughs> I finally got that forever. Yeah. Um, before you, that straw got scraped. <laughs> before that straw. <laughs> what was that term again? Squishy a, straw? A, a squiggly, squiggly straw. Squiggly straw. <laughs> straw. <laughs> yeah, it took I'm new some to time. That term. I just know that now, whenever you and I are talking, you explain somebody that way, I'm going to know exactly what you mean. Yeah. He's cool, but he's kind of a squiggly straw. He's, okay. kind of a squiggly okay. he's still straw. a little squiggly. squiggly. <laughs> At the end. <laughs> At the end. <laughs> right at the end. It's working itself out. Um, so I finally straightened up a little bit, and... She was like, yeah, uh, I can actually, my best friend got married to a girl he had been dating for three months. He popped a question. Dang. And I just looked at him and I was like, why? Like, 
you're just you're gonna blow this all up and literally she looked at me and was like you're on the clock now kid yep yep and so one year from when they got married we got married um and then we kind of just started like really her family's hyper conservative mine not at all and so we just started kind of braiding our lives together mm. um into what is our beautiful beautiful union so in uh-huh. cinco you said was 2012 12. yeah 2011 he's gonna be nine this year good god yeah, that's right 2011 yeah and so y'all have three three but by the time y'all moved to santa barbara two yeah we had two alexa was just born when we moved right. to santa barbara that's right um and so she grew up um, in a very comfortable life. <laughs> and then we come back to Nashville, once again, like a reset, because uh, kid number three and cost of living in Santa Barbara for a struggling actor is exorbitant. It's exorbitant for anyone. Yeah. But for a struggling actor, it's uh, it's heavy with two, three, just non-doable. Is that, was that kind of the impetus to move back? Yeah, very much so. It was just, and I think... The end of my straw was still a little bit squiggly. <laughs> um, and, and God saw, he was like, oh, if I let if I let all this kind of happen right now, you are going to be revert back to your squiggly self. So I got to kind of hit the reset button. And it was it was hard. It was a very hard pill to swallow. I mean, I was getting some of the best. Aud- As an actor, your job is to audition. Like if you wow. get the role, wow. like, yeah, that's a bonus. Mm-hmm. I was getting just great auditions. I was having to fly back to Atlanta for like some bigger auditions. And I was like, oh, this thing is happening. Like it is, we out here, boo. We finna get this like Hope Ranch. Here we come. Like it was all let's just, go. <laughs> let's get it. Um, and then God just hit the reset button real hard. He was like, ah, still a little squiggly kid. Uh, <laughs> back the, to one. Hit the squiggly button. <laughs> yeah. Back to one. And, and it, for her, I think for Rebecca, it was almost a bit of a blessing in terms of, because as if you couldn't tell, like, I'm not a wild card, but I I feel very comfortable coloring outside the margins. Mm, Like, uh that's not, I've done it my whole life, so that's not a foreign concept to me. And then she was like, oh, yeah, I think a little bit more structure, a little bit bit more stability, a little bit more accountability would serve us well in terms of where you're headed. And and it has. And that's a tough pill to swallow. Like, girl, you got all this. You get to go to the country club. What (laughs) what you you need? The ocean. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so being back in Nashville and having our third kid here was very grounding. Hmm. And, uh, it was it was it was humbling because I mean you feel like oh I'm about to be at the top of this thing like I got I got to meet Will Smith I'm just dropping that in there just casually. Mm-hmm. Would you tell uh, that story? If I had I a Will Smith story, I would have already told it. So. <laughs> yeah, John is John will lead. John will start a podcast <laughs> with name drops. So, yeah. uh, it was one of those. I met this beautifully eccentric old Jewish lady, and we just kind of became buddy buddy. Turns out she was one of the old heads that got in with Steve Jobs back in the day at oh, Apple. Dang. And so she was just hyper-connected, and I met her through improv. And so it was her, she was a member of something called the Santa Barbara Film Society, which is like a whole bunch of Hollywood people. And they get they to live watch, in, yeah. They live in Santa Barbara. They get to watch movies before they came out. Um, and so Will Smith was coming to 
to do a Q&A about concussion before it released. And mm-hmm. he came with Dr. Ebby. I forget the guy's name, the actual doctor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, who he was playing in Who the he movie. was playing in yeah. the movie. And they both came. And so it was a lady named Berta. I mean, she's just a fabulous New Yorker. And Sue and myself. And they were like, yo, we know this is uh, – Will Smith's going to be here. Like, we've seen you perform. We know that you really like him. I haven't talked to you. Do you want to come do this thing? And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, come, like, meet Will Smith. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And, like, I didn't know how this thing worked. You're not really supposed to bring guests to this thing. Uh-huh. Um, it's reserved seating. But the way Sue and Berta kind of lived their life, and that's why we became fast friends, they color outside the margins, too. <laughs> so we had to just walk into this thing. And it's one of those situations where you CTBP, count the black people. And oh, there was... hold on. Hold on. <laughs> That's CTBP. Yeah. CTBP. Count the black people. Yeah. So... Can, you, can you speak to that for all the rest of us white people? And explain? Sometimes you walk into a situation and you're just like, oh, something may go down. <laughs> at, any so, at any point. And so you want to just look for yep. an ally or someone to to have your back in case things go left. This is real. This is real. This is this absolutely is, I'm laughing but this is This is an absolutely real yeah, thing. Yeah, this is real. Um and this is one of those situations. Um Yeah, cuz it's like a white it's, people theater. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's not even like a real theater, it's like a gated little it's a it's a thing. It's a thing. Um so we pull in there's like one black guy valley parking and just I was like, "Okay, cool. Got one. Great." <laughs> so like we're walking in and it's like there's like a who's who here to see this movie. And I'm just like, literally like, and they're like asking for tickets and Sue just kind of walks in. Berta just walks in. And so I just walk in. Yep. They don't say anything. I'm like, great, good. But I can kind of like, I've never been here before. And they're just, the looks are like, uh, <laughs> who are you? Like that kind of look. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they just keep walking to the theater. So I just keep, keep following them. We sit like three rows from the front, like, there's everybody else is back there, and then we get like the good seats. Watch the film, everything's kind of wrapping, and then Bird is like, We don't actually have the VIP experience thing. He's going to come out and answer some questions. So he comes out and answers some questions, and then I see him kind of like doing the scan, just like checking the room, CTBP. Hmm. And then like we lock eyes, and he's just gives me that that charismatic Will Smith smile, like, what's up, Nod? Like, oh, I see. You made it in the room. What's, what's, up? <laughs> what's up, bro? Instant connection. Yeah, instant connection. And I'm like, yo, Will Smith sees me. Cool, we in this thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, Q&A wraps up. The, the doctor, I forget his name, he leaves. And so there's a huge line that's been forming at the end of the Q&A to the right of the theater. And these are all people that are wanting, and they're roping off Velvet Rope, the red carpet's right here, and all these people are going to wait to meet Will Smith. And it's going out into the lobby. And I was like, there's no way I'm getting in that line. So I just do the, and then he gives me the thing back. And so like I'm letting these two other ladies out of our row. And then as I'm letting them out, Will Smith steps over the velvety rope and starts walking towards me. And, like, people are, like, trying to, like, get close to him. And he's kind of, no, I don't want to talk to you. He's part in the water. Yeah. yeah, just like, and then everybody's kind of, like, just standing still, like, oh, what is he going to do? And then, like, he starts walking towards me. And, like, and I realized, and I was like, oh, I'm about to meet Will Smith. And then my brain betrays me. My brain's like, hmm, in West Philadelphia. And I was like, no brain. <laughs> don't do it. Don't, don't do that. Don't you do don't that. Don't you do that. <laughs> do not do that. <laughs> do not do that. <laughs> 
And then he's like getting close. He's like, born and raised. And I was like, no. And I, <laughs> on the playground. <laughs> and so I could, I'm literally like, I'm having this internal like fight with myself. And I can see like a look of concern kind of registered on his face. And he's like, the first thing he says to me is, you good? Like, no, concerned. no, because he can see he you. Can see my wheels turning. And I have to this day, I have no idea what I said to him, but he balls over laughing, like that deep baritone <laughs> laugh. And he is dying. And then we kind of just chop it up for like maybe a minute and a half. And like people like snapping photos because obviously they think like I'm his guy, like I'm one of right. his people. And then his people come say, hey, yo, all of these people are actually waiting to meet you. Like, you got to get you back in the rope. And then he's like, all right, I'll see you around. I was like, yes, you will. And then he goes and Sue, the old Jewish lady, was like, you made Will Smith laugh. Like, I'm sleeping good tonight. And, like, he goes back. And then when I'm, I'm like, riding on a cloud. Oh, yeah. Like, heading out of the theater. And then Sue was like, but you didn't get a picture. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't care, Sue. Like it's, it's this. I met him. Like that's right. all. That's all that matters. And that's how that I met is, Will Smith. That's amazing. That is amazing. So, but the scan is just a part of your your life. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and all the time. All the time. And like what's happening right now in our culture, like you can see why that is a necessary thing. Like because you can be yeah. in a grocery store. You can be at. Uh, at a ball game like you just take a scan of your surroundings and you want to see if there are any other people like you in that place and oftentimes I find myself in rooms and places where there are not a lot of other pieces like me however there are a lot of voices like myself Mm. and so Mm. that takes a certain level of intentionality and listening and not just being so judgmental which is a hard thing because growing up it was a survival instinct like are there other black people at this thing and that's a question that aunts and uncles would ask like oh you're going to the lake are any other black kids going to the lake they would ask you that yeah like because i mean it's just it's it's a cultural i mean they're not that far removed from the the race riots of the 60s so they're like if you're at the lake something could go down and do you have someone that will support your side of the story because they i don't my dad and my mom, they don't have this. They don't have this holdup or blockage in them, because being a nonprofit, a lot of the people that have underwritten and supported the Family Foundation Fund for twenty eight years have been the super conservative, Bell Mead Franklin, uber wealthy people of Nashville, and they have deep, beautiful friendships with my dad but those friendships came through real hard conversations and oftentimes some uncomfortable teaching moments wow for real for real for real your dad has to stop him and be like hey yeah and they know my dad is if he's willing to leave corporate america and come and clean houses they know that his ego is not in Mm, the things that he says like his ego is not a part of who he is like yeah and i aspire to to be that humble and to walk that purely, but it's, it's still a little squiggle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they, thankfully, they were influenced by those moments, and so they raised us very intentional uh, about, yeah, you still got to 
check your surroundings. You still have to be aware, but you have to, you love the heart because everybody bleeds the same. And if you have a heart after God, you have a heart after God and no, it, it's a Saul to Paul situation sometimes, but you won't know that unless you want to get in the trenches with somebody and really walk and love and grow with them. And so, uh, what I found in my personal, well, I, I, my wife is white, um, or white passing. We don't know what she is actually. Those those relationships transcend cultural boundaries if you're willing if you're willing to have tough conversations. And so, regardless of the rooms I found myself in, yeah, I do the scan, but I oftentimes like, okay, that's just. That's reactionary. Like, that's let's like biologically. Yeah, that's biologically yeah. ingrained. But let's see if this is a room of like-minded people, and then form an opinion from there. Man, Dave, my body is burning right John, now. John, I've said that about your body since I've known you. I'm, Thank you yeah, so much. But it's burning because of this full body workout that I'm doing with my new cross rope. Oh, dude, I have a one pack now. Have you seen it? I, yeah, you keep showing it to I me. Know, I know. I tell you what, cross rope is so much more of an interesting workout than running or lifting weights. I mean, I just adjust the ropes and the handles and bam, I have a more intense workout and I can make it easier for when I'm lazy. Yeah, you know, it was so easy to get started. I got the ropes, downloaded the app, and I was ready for one of the better workouts I've ever done. And I can do it at home. Mm-hmm. And here's a better thing. Crossrope is offering $40 off what? for Dadville Dads. Just visit crossrope.com slash dadville. And that can be moms, too. Listen, okay. John, you forgot to mention, they'll also get free shipping through that link. Free shipping. Yeah, I said it. So true. So just head to C-R-O-S-S-R-O-P-E dot com slash dadville to get yours today. You know, a few years ago, this is random tangent, but seeing Black Panther the movie, which is such a great movie, uh, there were these great articles written around that movie from black uh writers about why that movie resonated and they just it messed me up in the best way because it was this renaissance and you were there for it but it was this renaissance to me i think for the first time having a little bit of like a peek behind the curtain on what my black friends dealt with on a subliminal level i had no idea you know like the obvious stuff is like oh yeah okay whatever i see how that would happen but i remember you and i having that conversation about will smith i remember talking to a dear friend of mine david ron harris and david saying who's a black guy, and him saying, oh, yeah, I mean, every room I walk in. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. So both you and – and he's like, yeah, it's it's just you. Every room I walk in, I do like the <laughs> – you said. CCBP. <laughs> there you go. And he's like – and it's just – it's not – he's like, you just do it because you're like, okay, if something goes down or – and I love what you just said because this is fascinating to me, but like do I have someone to corroborate my claims should this something happen, yes. anything happen? Um, and I think that's one of the things that, like, I just think if if for those white people listening, that is just the tip of the iceberg. Because I think mm-hmm. the, conver- the beautiful things that are happening in America right now with the conversations we're having are just incredible. But I think, you know, I think the hardest thing as a white person to understand is just even the smallest tip of the iceberg of experiences that our black brothers and sisters have on a minute to minute, hour to hour basis. Cause, cause there's one thing to be like, Oh, well, you know this, this, but it's like, no, no, just imagine just this one thing that every room you ever walk in, let's just start there. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think that I remember both having that conversation with, with a few of my black friends and it just blew. I was like, 
God, just even that's a thing. Yeah. That's not even the hard, like the really scary stuff. That's just life. And I'd have to imagine that it would take a lot of patience on your part to let us collectively, (laughs) us white people, in 2020. I mean, I'm I'm having these realizations. One of my best friends since fifth grade is Korean American. I've, I've like I've lived with him. I know this guy, and we just a couple weeks ago had a conversation very similar to this. And he was like, "Yeah, it's a, it's a part of every group that I enter. There's some kind of scan." His version of that, yeah. And I would imagine it has to be frustrating at times, you know, to see the oh, sort of awakening and the posting that's going on, the awareness that's starting to happen. And on your end, you're like, yeah, this is, this, nothing is new here. Yeah. You know, and also, and, I, and I'm curious how you feel with relation to how, what your dad did and his experience. Do you feel like it is your, I don't know if responsibility is the right word, but to teach us this? Because I've heard some people mean saying like Killer Mike uh, was on ESPN the other day saying like, it's not my responsibility to teach you guys this. Like, you know, you you need to educate yourselves, which I I totally get that. How do you feel about that? I support what Killer Mike said, but on the inverse of that, like if you have a hard question, you have to know that there's a safe space to come and ask. So we have to be willing to answer those hard questions and make reading recommendations or offer source material after you've done the initial work. But you yeah. can't just say, yo, teach me like no that that, 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 i got a job yeah like i got kids man you gotta go i'm trying to teach my kids (laughs) you gotta go do some of the heavy lifting and then you can come back and then we can have some hard conversations and we can explore some of these truths and some of the lies that have been purported by our culture and yeah that i feel is black america's role right now Um, because there's people infinitely better read, more articulate, and studied that have really processed this for generations in the height of Jim Crow and in the revolt and turmoil of the 60s that were living in super more tough times. And now we find ourselves here. You can go get a glimpse and a feel and a canological kind of, I'm going to say the theology of black America during the height of racism and then come fast forward to 2020 and then come with your questions come with your plans of action so let us say oh that won't work or yeah that's a great idea how are you going to make it sustainable you know one of the things one of my favorite conversations that i've been a part of in the last forever was on the christmas tour because you came out and read the story which was the best thank you (laughs) every night you and i would laugh on the recap (laughs) you would come in and be like okay learn something tonight and i was always like all right let's hear but but one of the you know one of the things that i got so much joy from and i feel like i learned so much from was the night that you and jason you know escritch who sings bgv is one of the best singers in nashville also another black guy um who's always on the tour with us I walked into a conversation where y'all were talking with another guy in the band about Trump and about this stuff. And I, and I was so, I was so affected by so much of what y'all had said. And especially the conversation came up about, cause somebody else, you know, it's uh, everybody else in the band is white. Somebody was saying like, what are you doing these moments where you're with your kid 
and you're in Target because I think somebody this had just happened and you know their four year old is like sees I think somebody with dreads mm-hmm. or had this afro picked out or something and they said Mama that that guy's hair is really cool how does he do that and the mom's like no no, no do it don't bother like come, come we don't want to bother him and that's feel that's a racist question or something you know and I was so moved by both of y'all saying you know no 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 no. Like that's the that's that's the com that's the teachable moment. Like right. that's the conversation. Yeah. Like that's when little Freddie comes over and is like, "Yo, your hair's so cool." Then we get to be a positive moment in his life. And he's like, "No, like I met a black guy at Target the other day, and he was dope. Like we got to talk about yeah. hair. He taught me about cocoa butter. Like that moment, as opposed to the the fear instinct. Like don't bother him. Don't, right. Don't. Yeah. Then it becomes oh." Don't bother the black person. Well, wow, right. That, and we we're talking about snakes before this, like handling that stimuli. Like, how are you gonna, how are you gonna present this piece of information to your yeah, kid? Because yeah. it's gonna affect and inform future interactions. When they ask uh, just a beautiful question from a very innocent mind, right. that's when all parties have to slow down, put everything else aside, and just engage the little guy for for what that moment is. Yeah. That and cuz I feel like for me it's the it's that space between that's so so intimidating of of me and I'm thankful for my friends like you that can we can talk I mean I'm so thankful for that. We can talk about that. But but it does feel for I think a lot of white people have really great intentions. There's this lake of of mystery that's like between us where you're like I wonder if they feel I wonder if my friends feel that I wonder if my friends struggle but but you don't want to one I think it's humiliating it's humbling because you don't want to be like I don't know something but two Mm -hmm. you also don't want to be taken you don't want to come off as asking something that's insensitive so there's this really intimidating space for but I love when you guys said that that was such a I, I just felt so invigorated like oh no okay good this is not and you want to be careful. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> grain of salt. Yeah, be careful. But those, I think, the lake of sensitivity, like that's everybody's on that lake. Everybody, yeah. like yeah. it's just whether you're willing to row out a little bit further. You want to stay close to shore, <laughs> right? Where that's the stuff you know. You know the ground, right? That's uncharted waters out right. there. And I feel like there's a lot of people on both sides of that lake. And if yeah. you just kind of meet in the middle, the waters are infinitely deeper and cooler, and there's more to be experienced. But you got to kind of paddle out there so what is it like with 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 you and rebecca because you got you got both races you got the power couple oh yeah so like with kids how do you talk you know well this is what we tell our kids we say you have white privilege and black power do with it as you see fit (laughs) (laughs) that's that's what we tell them that's amazing and, and that has i mean if you meet my son Cinco, he's the most confident. Eight oh my god! A lot of it is unearned confidence. I will, I will. <laughs> it doesn't matter. That's the best guy. It doesn't matter. That's my favorite guy. <laughs> oh man! Use rightly. That's a very powerful weapon. Oh, and it oozes. <laughs> it oozes from him. Um, but I that's kind where he of. Gets that. I, me too. <laughs> I told you. I haven't Rebecca. figured it out yet. <laughs> um, that that is how we because I'm. Mean, it's letting them know, yo, you come from two very different, very unique equally important cultures yeah and people are going to try to make you pick a side right and that's unfair to you hmm. as a human and they're typically doing that because they're uncomfortable with who you are yes they don't know how to identify you um yeah. and to the point uh my son Cinco, we were in montreat and he walked up to 
Rebecca's mother, who was beautiful. Like she's aged very gracefully. Uh, I look forward to my future with my wife. <laughs> um, and he said, he said, Mama Sue, black people don't get old, but you're aging pretty good. Oh. <laughs> And that's She's a lot like, to unpack. I'm going to get that. Well, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot there. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot to unpack. And she came back to me. She just squeezed my arm. She said, you told your son black people don't age? I said, oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, that's one of the benefits. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's a lot of baggage, but we're going to claim those benefits. <laughs> like, um, And like for her, like she was just like laughing because wow. she like just took it as a complete compliment. And our... We have, our marriage has presented us an opportunity to have a lot of tough conversations with mm. a lot of people. Wow. But yeah. then we get to kind of go deconstruct those moments for ourselves and see how we want to present these future questions and problems that our kids are going to face. I mean, because every kid goes through a, mature, a maturation process that's difficult. And yeah. every kid has their own thing, but we didn't want who they are or their ethnicity to be one of those things they have to work right. through. Yeah. Right. So is it tough parenting the two of you? She, you say she came from a pretty structured, conservative yeah. upbringing. Yes. You came from possibly the opposite of that. Yes. Homeschool. There's, you're not like mm. on a schedule getting the bus at 7 a.m. Yes. So what is that like bringing that, the two of those to, to your kids? Um, I just say it's fun to watch from the sidelines continue. <laughs> I enjoy watching um, we've actually kind of taken uh, inverse roles. So oh. I am, I'm a very disciplined, very structured, because I know actions have consequences. Like that has, right. if I had a tattoo, it would be across my back. <laughs> actions have consequences. <laughs> like, um, and, and then so, an icon uh, of a lawnmower with a kid <laughs> with a BB gun. <laughs> with a cup of lemonade and a squiggly straw. Oh, <laughs> um, and so... I'm like, I am the more strict parent. That's so yeah. funny. Whereas she is very laissez-faire. It's just like, she's Bohemian Rhapsody embodied. Like, you just go wild, kids. Like, my son had his backpack on when I was literally leaving the house. He had his backpack, his slingshot, and his bike. And he was just like pedaling away. Like, And I was like, where are you going? She was like, I don't know. I'm like, you got one job. <laughs> like, like that, that's part we'll see of how this job. plays out. Yeah, like that's and that's how she was. She was like, ah, and I'm like, okay, cool, great. We'll deal with this when I come home. That's interesting. Um, so she's, but that same level of confidence that I got from my parents mm. being like, you know what to do. Wow. Yeah. I see that playing out in my kids a thousand times over. Yeah. And. While I'm relegated to the role of disciplinarian, which is not my favorite role, it is absolutely necessary when you have three beautiful, precocious little people walking around with the amount of confidence that right. they have. Right. So, so you, you just kind of spoke this, but what has surprised you about the fathering part of your life? Like, because you kind of said that just yeah. then, but like, what is, what is it you being like? Oh, I didn't know I'd feel like that, or I'd be like this. Um. Like I didn't, I never saw myself as a disciplinarian. Hmm. Like so, having to put that hat on was alarming to me because I'm used, like growing up, like I was used to receiving consequences or accolades, depending. <laughs> sometimes so, both. Sometimes both. 
and now it's very in the reality of oh you have to this thing only works if everybody's doing their their part so you kind of got to be the one that's structured and responsible and yeah moving. corralling yeah and that's not necessarily ever been a hat i thought i would wear yeah so that's kind of been do uh, you feel like that's been a response rebecca yes huh yeah just seeing that she kind of was like this is this is my vibe yes and and i think that i was attracted to that like yeah. I, and i still am like she is go with the flow and god knows like that has saved us because she's like ah, it doesn't matter like yeah you're gonna go to la and sleep in your car while you go to work the comedy strip like great i'll be here at santa barbara you know where to find me yeah like yeah. most wives wouldn't be okay with that and right. she's always just been like yeah no do it it'll work out great yep. and i think that's an, a reaction from her upbringing whereas mine is a reaction to my upbringing and we're kind of just that yin and yang of parenting and it's worked really well for the 10 years we've been married yeah that's i mean i just feel i mean i know amy's like that amy's the same way when you do what we do when you are in the, in the entertainment world there is maybe no better gift than a wife who's like cool it's a we'll figure requirement it out. <laughs> i mean it is like i could get emotional. i wish i had more of it golly yeah, yeah i don't have it as much as any does yeah i mean i can tell you i don't know if you felt this way isaac but I have numerous Ebenezer conversations in my marriage where, like, I remember the walks. I remember where we were. And I was like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And she's like, shut up. Yeah. And I'm like, it's too hard. I'm gone too much. She's like, Dave, stop. This is what you're good. You love doing this. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, okay. And that's, if I didn't have that support, if I didn't have that person, like, I don't think I would have yeah. had the successes that I've had thus yep. far. Yeah. Because, if I have to be out at two a till two a.m. three a.m. I'm gone for a week. There's no, I'm come home and I'm exhausted. Like I miss my kids. Like and she's like, yeah, okay, cool, great. You miss the kids. <laughs> Mow the lawn. Yeah, you got stuff to do. Like I'm like, but did you miss me? She's like, no, not really. <laughs> like, but that, that level of freedom and like just straight up trust yeah. is yeah. what's kind of. I'm having to be the discipline, like the structure of this boat, but she is 1,000% the motor of this thing. Yeah. So, Well, and I think this this is, I was going to say this, I, as I was thinking about getting together, you of all of my friends, and it makes, like hearing you talk about your upbringing, which I knew a lot about, but hearing the nuances of it, it really informs this question a little more. But I think of all of my friends that are dads, you of all of them have these really fascinating consistencies in your parenting like i always love hearing you talk about like things that you're like oh the, this that's what we do or we just i say this to the kids i have them memorize this i they're these sort of like things that I, you instill that i'm always so fascinated by which it sounds like your dad obviously and your parent and your mom you yeah. know they, they both do those things but 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 can you speak to that like what what that comes from the intention of that absolutely um thank you for saying that by the way yeah oh, great. yeah wow great compliment once again, they're going, they're biracial children. So they're going to grow up in a world that's wants to put a narrative on them. So first and foremost, they have to know who they are. And so uh, I make my kids, they have mantras that they've memorized and they speak to themselves. 
Uh, they say them before they go to bed or if they're going through something. Uh, one is like, I am brave. I am not afraid. I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. Like those just like little moments of difficulty. They know that there is something that their parents have set down with them and said a thousand and one times yeah. and breathing words of life into them. And that comes from the difficulties that I faced in my life. Um, like growing up, I would be on Dickerson Road selling lemonade because that was what me and my friends would do. So we would have a lemonade stand and we got robbed. We had to fight. But we would also, if we did it well, we'd make $200 in a day selling lemonade on Dickerson Road. Mm. Uh, most kids, they didn't do that. So <laughs> that, that the intentionality of your effort is, has been imprinted on my brain. Like, yeah, yeah you're going to have, you're going to struggle. You're going to go through some things. But if you maintain that God has your back and your faith is active, this too shall pass. Yeah. And so that's really where a lot of my parenting strategies as far off as they may be, like they come from, I think a white, a life well lived and informed through struggle and heartache and success. But I know that you can't really have one without the other. And God is God's plans are infinitely better than ours. So we just have to be confident in the tools and the things that he has given us for his glory. Mm. And so that kind of informs my parenting style. So how did, how do your kids react to the, the little mantras? Like when you're like, Hey, Cinco, say your thing. Is he like dad? No, you know, no, he loved. Okay. So another little tangent story. Uh, he, we were in Santa Rosa and he bruised his heel bone jumping off a waterfall. Um, then he had a soccer tournament a couple months later and he re-injured his heel. Like, and he was bummed. Like the kid loves soccer. Um, he had to play his first game, got hurt in his first game, set out for the next three games. They were in the championship game. It was the game with them the line. Like he asked the coach if he could go in. He's like, can I go in? And the coach was like, I, he's hurt. And then she like looked at me and he looked at me and he said, I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. And I was like, <laughs> what are you going to say? And I sent you, you the video. You put the kid in Yeah, you that. put the kid when in. When he says that, you, you put, put, put the kid in. There was 1.7 seconds left. His team was down 1-0. His teammate kicks the ball in. It ricochets off a defender's chest. And my son, with his right, he's left-footed, with his right foot, he rips an upper 90 from about 30 yards out as the clock is expiring and they tie effectively winning the tournament. No way. And so, like, he doesn't get that moment if I let fear dictate right. my like my parental instincts. Like, no, like, you're hurt. Like, let's not. But for me to tell him this and for him to actually believe it enough to want to get out there for the betterment of his team and then to come in and have, like, a clutch moment like that, yeah. it's that much more real to him now. And so – that's amazing. That is, kind of, I've had lots of little moments like that with my yeah. kids when they're like, I'm not afraid or I can do all things or I am beautiful. Like yeah. when they say those things and then they carry out some minute action, for them, it's words becoming life. Yeah. And so that's what you hope for. And I haven't had them spit it back or be exhausted by it yet. But he's, eight about to be nine so give it some time probably. well i think it's just good for me to hear that like you have the success story of the on the soccer field and he says his mantra and it goes in and it goes couldn't Great. have gone better <laughs> yeah but to know that like the road to get there is probably like you know a hundred times of of him saying it and maybe you feel like oh, he's not really getting it or whatever just the day-to-day -day grind of it absolutely you, you got to remind yourself that it's it's 
getting in there. Yeah. It's working. I think, too, that those moments are always so challenging when it comes back to you. Yeah. And then you are accountable for what you're trying to teach your kid. Oh, right, yes. right, right. You know, yeah, it you're was as much there, on the line for you as exactly. it was for him. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll never, my mom tells a story all the time, but when, when I was in college and I was just really starting to do the music thing, and of course she and dad have no pedigree for this, there's no rule book on how this is supposed to unfold. And apparently, you know, she tells the story at the time, but I was washing the car and she's, and I've told her this weekend, I've come home like, Hey, I think I'm going to do the music thing. I'm going to be a singer songwriter. I'd sung for two years at this point. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, it was not great. I don't know that it is now, but she, um, and you know, she's like mom. So she's in there kind of like, you know, I just don't know if this is the right call. I mean, I know David loves music and he loves playing the drums, but God, make a living. So, so apparently she kind of comes out of the car and she's like, you know, honey, um, you know, I, I'm so excited about you wanting to do music, but, you know, Dave, I just think this is a hard, we don't, you know, it's a hard road and you haven't really done it that long. And, and, you know, apparently I looked at her and I said, well, you know, mom, <laughs> this, is, this is the key part. I said, you know, you and dad always tell me to delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you desires of your heart. And she said, <laughs> she said, literally, I stood there when you said that and I was like, <clears throat> <laughs> we did say that, didn't we? <laughs> and I just kept washing the car, and she was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And she said she just kind of went, okay, okay, and walked back inside. And was like, well, Lord, you have won again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but those moments where as a parent, you know, you sort of realize like, oh, gosh, this is now on me. Indeed. Like, I, what I, have we done? Yeah. I got to practice what I'm preaching yeah. here, you know. And that is the most exhausting part of being a parent, probably. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Mm, my daughters love to say, well, you're a man of your word. If, and they say it in a weaponized way when they want something. Right. It's, it's never what I've done or accomplished something. You're giving them tools, but they're getting weapons. Yes, yes. exactly. They're they're upgrading. This is like yeah. video games. <laughs> You've given them a stick. They've turned it into like a machete somehow. And so I'm like, ah, like I don't think you're getting this quite how I want you to yeah but you understand it fundamentally so yeah. it will work from there yeah. and like that's the challenge it's yeah. the challenge yeah. yeah i do feel like it's our because our kids are about the same age and um it is interesting as as they get older especially ben who's cinco's age and one of cinco's good buddies like you know he's starting to really push back on ideas and and what you say and intention and logic we have so many conversations with him about what stuff means you know and you know like he's really big on you said 15 minutes and we left in 20 and i'm like good but you can feel him and i think even to your dad's point which i love i'm gonna think about that so much but like you have to engage that differently as a parent because they're really they're not pushing back to be twits they're pushing back because they're going like hey you said something yeah is that really what it is because i gotta live this life that's got some reason and some fences yeah. yeah and if you keep moving the fences I, i'm gonna go crazy because yeah. i don't know what my what how i'm supposed to abide in that space and i think it's it's interesting <laughs> you know having <laughs> i just any and i get so taxed you know because he'll want to really and sometimes you just got to cut it off you gotta, yeah. like, i know what you're doing and we ain't doing that tonight go to bed but then other times you can really see that he's like i don't understand something yeah and you got to go, gosh, I've never had to explain this ever in my life, you know? And those are the moments you just kind of say, okay, God, take the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> um, 
I don't want to explain this through my twisted brain. That's right. And my just trying to hang on with my my grasp of it. Like I want this to be palatable and deep. You want it to be like a real moment that doesn't scar your kid. Right. And that has that has probably been one of the the harder COVID related adventures since the yeah. whole family is tucked continually yeah. up under each other. Like there's not been a lot of dispersed energy and there's more yep. there's been more time spent online. There's yep. been more time yep. just reading and so they're asking different questions that you're not necessarily prepared to answer. Yeah. And so that has been a real time development in our home that has been Jeez. exhausting. Exhausting. Yeah. I mean I just want to say this to everybody out there listening, all you parents are listening. Okay. I'm about to I'm about to just bless you all, I hope. I really think this season is just life with an asterisk. It's like everything's got a little bit of grace and wiggle room because this is the first time in our lives that you've had something where, you know, for a lot of us as parents, you've been with your kids for three and a half months. And that's just never going to happen again, like every day. So there's going to be a a snapping. There's going to be a point where you're like, I wonder if, if I could lock my kids outside if they could figure out in a day or two how to get back how in. How long would they okay. survive? How long would they be okay in the basement? You know? <laughs> the little one's back in in 24 hours. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Sam, Sam, our little about-to-be-four-year-old, He's he wouldn't, he'd leave. He'd be like, finally, I can go start my life yeah. somewhere. <laughs> what have you been waiting on? <laughs> yeah, like, gosh. <laughs> you were all to be back, guys. <laughs> I think one of my favorite texts that I've gotten in this pandemic was when you sent me a picture of a fire in your yard and it just said you should you should try this it feels really good. yeah i had some control over something <laughs> and i i laughed i just said what are you doing you said i just i just really need to set something on fire <laughs> yeah yeah that is a true statement <laughs> just the feeling of like because it was right about like month and a half in where it's like everything is hitting critical mass (laughs) i just love that you're like honey i'll be back yeah (laughs) and i started a massive fire (laughs) i just stood there and stared at it yeah and then i spent the rest of the day on twitter encouraging people to do the same thing (laughs) all of a sudden you start following ted nugent Gosh. Oh, oh. Okay, so we always end these with a couple of questions. Okay. Uh, let me figure out which one of these I want to do. True, false. Okay. John, why don't you go first? You have to pick, and I'll do the last one. Okay. What would you say is the thing that makes you feel like you're a successful dad? Ooh. When I'm about to walk out the door and my two daughters whatever they're doing, they just run to the front door and they grab my neck and plant just the biggest, sloppiest, wettest kiss on my face. And then if I, and I've tested this, if I don't do it, they stand on the front porch and they literally throw tantrums because they didn't get their goodbye, hug and kiss. Oh, mm, yeah. So that lets me know that like there's something, there's something in there that I'm doing that's right because they know I'm going to yeah. go fend and fight and their contribution to that is that hug and that kiss. Oh. And when they give you that hug and that kiss, you're like, I could go oh. do anything right yeah. now. I will scale this mountain. Yeah, I will bring the world to its knees. <laughs> 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 I will burn something. <laughs> I will burn it all. 
fuck. <laughs> yeah, like that. It's just it's rocket fuel. Yeah, it's rocket yeah. fuel. Oh my god, that makes it that's up. great. Okay, so last question. I love this question. With your three kids, what do you want your kids to say at your funeral? Ooh. Dad finally was a straight straw. Oh my God. <laughs> we know he's we know he's a straight straw right yeah. now. Walking the streets of gold. <laughs> God straighten him out. Um I want them to ah, that's 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 tough. Um I want them to say that I lived life well. Like I enjoyed the small moments. I loved people well. Uh I was a man of integrity and that I really gave them the courage to be their authentic true selves mm. like that's that's my prayer mm. yeah, i love that yeah that's that's my prayer i mean and it's tough like and we've talked about that this entire time just giving them the tools to grow into who god has made that little person to be and i and i pray that they look and that i would have molded them and shaped them and prepared a way that they may do that well yeah, that'll preach. Man, thank you so much for coming and doing this. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Great. That is, I just want to tell you again, I don't know that I'm not going to be able to, sh- I want to get a tattoo maybe. I think the first tattoo I may get is going to be a 13-year-old you <laughs> on a wall <laughs> with a BB gun. On your, on your right arm and then on your left arm, there's going to be just shattered, shattered French with- doors. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and a can on your chest. <laughs> can did not move <laughs> no <laughs> it is just a bb going over the can <laughs> on the way to its friend's door <laughs> oh you're the man oh. man thank you for doing this oh, thank you for having me guys all you wonderful beautiful kind people Thank you so much for listening to the episode. If you have a second, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and write a review. Unless it's bad. Because that stuff really does matter. And please follow us on socials. You can find us everywhere at Dadville Podcast. Also, you can follow us each at Dave Barnes Music and at John McLaughlin to find out more about our music. Thanks for listening. Dadville.